Hello and welcome to the festive edition of Recast, the podcast from Remit Consulting. Today's bumper episode features some real stars of the property industry wrapping up the events of 2021 and gifting you their property predictions for 2022. Please give us a follow on Instagram at recast.pod for updates on your chosen listening platform. So now pour yourself a glass of mulled wine and settle in to listen to the 12 Voices of Christmas. everyone welcome to the festive edition of recast i am once again joined by andrew barber and emily Bates. how are you both really good thanks cat yeah very good i'm very well as well excellent we're all excited for uh, for christmas and the festive period oh bar humbug <laughs> oh no absolutely that actually reminds me i haven't opened my advent calendar today so that'll be exactly <laughs> what i do after this oh we'll we'll keep this brief then emily so you can get, get off to the chocolate yeah, places to be um yeah no I've my entire house is covered in fairy lights now I'm I'm really ready to go wonderful we put our Christmas tree up yesterday and I'm allergic to fir trees and I'm still got slightly itchy hands there oh you no go. nightmare oversharing <laughs> that's commitment to Christmas <laughs> that no that's commitment to being Scrooge yeah <laughs> doesn't even like Christmas trees no they don't like me <laughs> Right. Well, I better kick us off on some some property stuff. I know in this podcast, we're all about looking forward. We want to look forward to 2022. But I thought we should do a bit of a wrap up of uh, the sort of the big themes of 2021. And to start us off, one of one of the things that I was really excited to read uh, last week, I looked at the EG's report of 2021 and the most clicked links and things like that. And I was absolutely thrilled that it's not all COVID. I think that a lot of people are thinking that looking towards Christmas and looking at changing restrictions and ominous burgeoning figures and things like that, that we might end up with a similar situation to last year. And it's easy to kind of get a bit down about it. But actually, this year looks like it's been a really progressive year for property. I think that probably reflects the ability of the property industry to react to situations and adapt and rebuild if you excuse the pun, but, um, <laughs> you know, be flexible with the circumstances that you find in the market. Definitely. Yeah. And there's, a, so there's a lot of talk I know at the moment about logistics and sheds and how, um, I think that was the top article for the EG that the role of sort of industrial real estate to make the UK more productive, which is really exciting. Especially with, I mean, pandemic and also all the fallout of Brexit that we're still experiencing. I think this has been a big part of this last year. So I'm glad that each of you were pulling up on it. I know we chatted about it as a company a couple of weeks ago. Absolutely. And the, and so the other one, the other kind of idea that I know has been around for ages, um, but seems like quite a nice, almost like a good news story, is about property managers recruiting from hospitality. And it's something that we've talked about for ages about the, you know, enhancing your customer experience by having people trained to deal with customers. But actually, it seems quite a nice balance because hospitality has been suffering over the pandemic and properties still need managing. So it seems like quite a nice sort of rehoming of people with all those skills uh, to put them to good use. Another thing that I think has come out this year that has been a really positive addition has been tech really showing its value. I know we've had quite a lot of face-to-face conferences and events going ahead. I think tech has really played a part and that links really closely in with ESG as well. I think combining the two, we no longer need to look at them separately and we can see their value as a couplet is more than each sum separately, which I think is really exciting. I like to think we're at a turning point from, yes, there's a problem, we need to fix it into here's how we're going to fix it. And I think that's a really positive turn. Excellent consultancy use there. Bring solutions, not problems. Do you think the uh, increased focus on ESG is partly to do with COP26? I mean, there's been debate as to whether it was a success or not and, you know, whether the most was taken from it as possible. But I think it has highlighted particularly the environmental side of ESG. We've, we've got a podcast actually in the planning, haven't we, to talk, to talk more in detail about that. But I, I'm going to take a, a much less um, highbrow stance on that, Paddy, and say I think part of the 
increasing acknowledgement of, again, certainly, well, actually, no, the E and the S has kind of been due to the pandemic. Um, with the fact that people weren't commuting, it was sort of a silver lining that was raised early on. And I think it's made people think a little bit more and shown it more in context as what is possible. And the same with a lot of this kind of more social stories, things to do with people's different risk profiles, things to do with diversity of living arrangements and things like that have been really at the forefront in the last two years because they've actually impacted a lot of people. And it's much easier to understand something if it directly impacts you, which is sort of unfortunate, but kind of a well-known fact. Yeah, every cloud, as it were. Yeah, yeah, let's take that. And the, and again, with the tech, I mean, at the start of the pandemic, I remember we had a client who had been putting off getting a new something system and they couldn't work from home. So it became a real priority in March 2020. And, and I think it's shown that it isn't, you know, the, all the things that people have said, oh, we don't need that. Actually, now they do. I think, I mean, it's interesting talking about that technology in relation to how we're working, because obviously, as we talk, we're having to work from home again is the guidance. And there's been this big move to working from home and a lot of people saying, well, I don't want to go back. And we, we've shown this in the return figures on a weekly basis that, you know, Mondays and Fridays have been particularly quiet. And actually, the the average number of people occupying offices across the country is far lower than you would have imagined it would be. I know people are saying well, it feels busier, but we've seen that the average occupancy level is only somewhere around 20%. Now, that's for the whole of the UK, and the restrictions have been tougher in Scotland, so you've got to take those adjustments. But I think that's something which has really emerged over this year, and it's not just a knee-jerk reaction to the pandemic even when restrictions were lighter people were still choosing not to be in the office the whole time and I think this is a, a cultural shift in my opinion yeah return to the office is the biggest will they won't they since Ross and Rachel from Friends I think I'm, I'm too young to remember that <laughs> <laughs> of course you are Paddy <laughs> of course I am. Okay, so the other one that we probably need to talk about, and I know we've got some some exciting guests in a moment, but is the the big fight of tenant v landlord. And over the course of the year, we've reported on this issue of where the rent is. Uh, if tenants aren't paying it, it's in their bank account. If they are, it's in the landlord's bank account. But where where should it be? And there was a large pharmacy um, retailer who was declining to pay rent when the moratorium came in. And recently it's been reported that their, their head has written a, a kind of quite a brutal letter to landlords saying that he's very disappointed that they uh, didn't wish to share the pain and accept that this chain didn't want to pay their rent. I think it's so complicated, this issue. And I think as months go on and more and more of these sort of stories come into the headlines, it only just shows how complicated it is. Um, when this all first started, I was still at uni and I was working out how to battle with my student landlord. I didn't at the time realise how big this was until I started at Remit in September. And I think you'd struggle to find someone who this hasn't affected, even if they don't know that it's actually affected them. I think it's going to be something that lasts. I don't think it's going to be something that ends on the 31st of December. It's not going to stay put in 2021. I think this is going to be something that we're feeling the effects of. Yeah, well, the moratorium should, again... (laughs) come to an end next March, which will be two years mm-hmm. since since the, the start of the pandemic properly. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a good point, Emily, that people don't understand how they're being impacted by this because a lot of the landlords, they're not sort of evil landlords sort of no. rubbing their hands and collecting bags of money. It's you and me, it's pension funds, it's, you know, it's our savings, it's um, insurance companies, it's going to impact your house insurance, your car insurance, your holiday insurance, uh, all these things are, are being impacted by the situation with rent not being paid on time or not being paid at all. This is also something we've discussed a lot, isn't it, that the, the landlord generally is vilified as this sort of, you know, this, this person who sits in a big castle and, and counts their riches. Um <laughs> And that, I mean, I'm certainly not counting the riches in my pension pot. Um, and actually it is the people, the people on the ground that that these large companies are wanting to share the pain with, which seems a little unfair. Another comment from this letter was that they would rather work with a pra- pragmatic landlord who sees the value in a longer term relationship. 
And I think that's lovely emotive language, but actually by continuing to trade, ceasing to pay rent, that demonstrates a lack of respect um, from the tenant side for that long-term relationship. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting example. I'm glad that you pulled out on it because it's, yeah, well, like I kind of said before, it really shows that there are two sides and it's easy when you're sat in a student house or being forced out of your student house to get really angry and quite upset. But when you think about it in the scale of retailers, it's not a one-sided battle. It's not something that's so simple or easy and it's kind of painful for everyone. And there are also a lot, there are a lot of retailers that were really struggling because they weren't able to trade. Yeah. But the ones that were staying open and still making sales. um, Yeah. Well. The silence says everything. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So this is a really interesting topic and and it's great that today we're being joined by founding partner of Remit Consulting, Andrew Waller, who is going to be talking to Melanie Leach, the CEO of the British Property Federation, to talk about, no doubt, rent collection and other topics. Well, hi, you two. Welcome, Andrew. Welcome, Melanie. How are you both? Very well. Nice nice to be here. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you. So we wanted to chat to you a little bit today about kind of what you've seen throughout 2021 and what you think that might take on for 2022. Um, We were just talking about the rent debacle that's been going on all year and the letter that's come out from a large pharmacy. Um, What are you guys thinking about that? Gosh, well, I think I think it's wrong to characterise it as a rent debacle, if I'm honest. What we've seen is and what our surveys of our members tell us is that the majority of property owners and their tenants have reached amicable agreements on rent over the last 18 months. And that, you know, quite often in cases, I think that's made the relationships even stronger than they were before. You know, I think we've particularly seen support prioritised for smaller tenants in the hardest hit part of the market. So hospitality and leisure, um, you know, because those are the people that bring spaces to life. So those are the people, the tenants that property owners are most keen to support and they understand the problems and challenges they're facing. I think it's um, uh, something which we've seen with the press is always eager to leap on the exceptions. But it's been impressive how well the industry has been pulling together and how hard everybody's work, been working to get the rent thing sorted out. Uh, we still have a major problem there with seven billion of unpaid rent, but at the same time, <laughs> yeah, that seems to be next year's problem. So do you think the news will change at all going into 2022? Um, I mean, I, I, it would equally be wrong not to, not to acknowledge, as, as Andrew just did, you know, that there are some quite high profile examples of relationships that haven't worked very well during lockdown. Uh, and that remains the case. I, you know, I think what everybody is sort of watching with bated breath to see is, you know, quite how the arrival of Omicron and what its impact will be will play out over the next few few weeks. Um, and the extent to which that will set back the recovery that was sort of, you know, relatively fragile, but doing doing well through the autumn. And you know, I think if it, if it proves to be the case that COVID is sort of seasonal in nature, so we can expect to see spikes during the winter, you know, and relatively uh, drop offs in the summer, for example, you know, then that's something we're going to have to learn to live with and adjust to, I think. But we're all, you know, we're a bit in, again, in the territory of the unknown right now, aren't we? We'll have to wait to see what happens. See, I think that uh, lots of people will try and judge fairness in this. And the government put a lot of money into the economy. And the landlords are clearly putting a lot of money into the economy by not taking all that rent, um, whilst the government put the moratorium on uh, on bad debts. And uh, tenants themselves have been suffering. So I I think it comes back to what people believe to be fair. And clearly people are fighting their cases. But um, as we go into another period of uncertainty, uh, it'll be interesting to see which side that comes down. Any ideas on how we can flip this narrative of the landlords as the big bad wolf um, and the tenants as the poor little people that the big bad wolf's eating? Well, I, I, th- I think you have some very big landlords and some very big tenants, and frankly, they can look after themselves. You know, they're both playing uh, the game in the way that they've always played it. And I think Melanie's right. You know, we're actually looking at the 80% of other tenants um, and landlords who actually need to fight through this and are probably suffering greatly through you know, lack of demand for goods and products and lack of rent causing problems with their banks. So uh, whilst all of this 
uh, plays out in the national media and the big one big company bashing another big company. We probably just need to be a bit more pragmatic. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, the narrative had actually flipped because I think as time went on, I think, you know, uh, journalists, you know, had had realised that, you know, that that was a sort of very caricatured picture. I mean, it's, it's much easier for tenants in general to evidence this pressure that they're being put under um, by lockdowns. And of course, there's a lot more brands and, you know, business identities that we're all very familiar with as consumers because they are the shops we go into, they're the cafes we go into, they're the rest, restaurants we go into, etc. So they're much closer to home. So it's much easier to bring to life the stress that tenants are under and much harder to bring to life, you know, the pressure that landlords are facing. Of course, they're not all large companies. You know, there are small property owners out there who may not even be incorporated. They've, there's individuals that have invested their life savings or their pension lump sum in one or two commercial properties and have had no income for you know, almost two years. And then that story, you know, we've tried to bring to life um, over the last few months because that story hasn't really been told. But it's, you know, it, it's, I think, particularly for smaller, smaller actors on both sides, it, it's been an incredibly difficult time and they're now facing sort of further pressures. And I think on, on top of that, you've got the whole switch um, of retail online and you know, investors switching to logistics and uh, you know, an awful lot of retail coming out of the high streets and people not knowing what to do to track people back into the high streets. I think you've got this rebalancing, not just in <coughs> retail and the way, the role of the high street, but you've also got people who are moving back to county towns and market towns all over the country rather than London. And Obviously, there's been stuff in the press over the last few days about how TfL are having to reconsider how they get people into London effectively. And if they lose even one of the tube lines, that dramatically affects the attractiveness of London as a city where people go to work on. So we've got all of these things playing out. And just one of them is whether people pay the rent or not. I think that's right, though, because you know, cities and towns are, are ecosystems and you know, they, the whole thing needs to work in order for individual parts to work. And I think you know, that's a huge challenge for local authorities um, in trying to think about how they protect that ecosystem and how they evolve it in the light of some of the demographic changes, you know, that we're see- we have been seeing already, but have been accelerated by, by the impact of COVID. One of the things that I wanted to pick up in terms of the trends for next year was um, the use of data by the property industry. And and you and I have discussed this, um, particularly with the remark numbers and the, the back to work uh, numbers, the, the return numbers. But I just wondered whether you had any thoughts on where the property industry is in its adoption of data. Um, and just to put a little bit of context and background around it, that Gartner have a thing called the technology adoption curve, where you have a very high peak of inflated expectations. And then almost immediately afterwards, a trough of disillusionment and then a slope of enlightenment as people gradually get to to use new technology effectively. And I wonder whether you had a thought as to where the property industry as a whole was in using its data. Uh, I think the phrases were on a journey, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I think, um, you know, historically and therefore probably still true for quite a large part of the market. We've not been good at capturing and using data or sharing data Um, I think that will have to change you know whether that sort of market data or whether that sort of data around buildings use you know how are we going to tackle the net zero challenge unless we get much better not only at capturing buildings data and I think we're getting better at that um, and a lot of innovations going into that you know so we're getting better at capturing data about the way our buildings are performing. But unless we're able to sort of share and learn from that together um, and and innovate further, we're never going to get anywhere near meeting our our net zero challenges, I think. So we will be forced to become better at collaborating, at sharing data, at using data. Um, And, you know, as ever in the vanguard, you've got um, businesses who've known that for years and are pretty smart about it. And at the other end, you've got people who, don't don't really understand the need to invest in that and certainly don't understand the need to sort of flip a mindset by 180 degrees and become data sharers and open sources rather than view data as a sort of commercial asset to hold on to at all costs. 
I think that's a really good juxtaposition there, the fact that the market data was the value of the agent and therefore they would not share that for any reason. But now, of course, we've got the situation with the rent collection data over the last couple of years where, okay, we've had 10 years of practice of collecting this and this is why the property managers were able to give us that data, which was fantastic. But that has really opened up the discussion. And I think now analysts are, are using that sort of data. What we've seen, and particularly in the last few weeks, as we head towards Christmas and people are beginning to think about things other than just getting the day job done, is um, people are demanding better systems and better data. But I still feel that it's a little bit unstructured, that people are still concentrating on the basic finance data and not what the industry can do. And what was frustrating for me was that I think we were a bit late on giving the government the data on the rent collection the first time around. Did, did you feel that? I think that's right. I mean, what's very clear is that if you want to influence government, if you want to get your point across effectively, you need data. I'm not sure on the rent collection issue, it would have made a huge amount of difference because that was, I think the decisions were made out of emotion as much as they were around data. Uh, I mean, nobody would be, I think, investing millions of pounds of public money in a new arbitration scheme if they looked at the data as to how many you know, discussions are outstanding between property owners and tenants. So I think there are a whole lot of other factors going on alongside data, but certainly in general terms, I think, you know, data and hard evidence is what, you know, government wants to see if it's going to take a, you know, take any particular point you want to put across seriously. So in general, I think that's right. Now, one of the things that, you know, you'll see in 2022 is uh, something called the Real Estate Data Foundation and was established um, probably just over a year ago now, I think. But I think you'll see that come more to the fore in 2022. Um, a new steering group's just been established. And I think, you know, there's a real appetite, I think, amongst you know, some of the more thoughtful people who really care about both data and innovation and the impact of tech potentially on our industry to try to come together and really sort of set an agenda and drive it forward. Um, and obviously, uh, Remit will be absolutely part of that conversation, I'm absolutely sure. Well, I'm really pleased that BPF is investing their time in, in, the, in the data side of things. And, and certainly from our point of view, we're, we've been incredibly pleased by the support of the BPF and the Property Advisors Forum, who've come together to allow us to aggregate the data for both of the two initiatives, the return one and Remark. And it's made a real difference, I think. Um, we've, you know, we've been pleased to be in the middle and be able to have to play that role. But just getting the responses from people who are actually used, able to use that data effectively. So I think next year will certainly be uh, um, one where we are going to be spending a bit more time evolving those and, um, and trying to make more of a difference. Thank you so much to both of you. That was wonderful. And my only final question is, do you think the future looks bright? Is 2022 going to be a good year? Do we think it's going to keep battling on as we've seen? Is the future bright? Yes, absolutely. Is 2022, the next 12 months, going to be a good year? That depends on a lot of variables that are uncertain. But, you know, if you look at what's been happening in the market over the last few months, that would tend to suggest that people are positive and bullish, even about 2022, given current uncertainties. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, real estate is a long term game. So the future, you know, history suggests that, you know, real estate um, you know, it may may have peaks and troughs, but it's pretty uh, pretty good industry and with a long term strong future. But you know, there are always hiccups along the way. <laughs> I completely agree with that, and I think the the one key thing we can look forward to next year is a lot of change. I think it's going to benefit those companies that are agile, wonderful management consultancy word, sorry, uh, but that can adjust to the change and actually. Do something different, you know, really make a difference to uh, the way in which we, we occupy buildings and that we, we use buildings. Thanks so much, both. That's been really, really useful. Andrew bringing in the management consultancy cliches well before their scheduled slot in the podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much. It, that's been a really positive discussion. You're very, very welcome. Thank you. So that was our very own Andrew Waller and also Melanie Leach, the CEO of the British Property Federation, wrapping up our review of 2021 and giving some insight into what they think 2022 might hold. This sets us up really nicely for the rest of our 12 Voices of Christmas. So top up your mulled wine, sit back and enjoy.
I'm delighted to say that for our next Voice of Christmas, we are joined by someone who has previously been a guest on Recast and heads up technology and ESG for Remit Consulting. So it's with great pleasure that I'm joined on the virtual fireside comfy sofa by Melissa Hutchison. Hi, Melissa. How are you? Hi, I'm all right. Thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad. Not too bad. Looking forward to Christmas. So can you give us your thoughts on what's going to happen in 2022? Any themes and topics or anything that you've seen in 2021 that you think is an ongoing theme that uh, we need to keep an eye on? Okay, so I, I think generally there'll be loads of things going on, and I'm sure other people have different areas. But if I just focus on my kind of key re- remits, for lack of the best yeah. word, currently, um, I've talked on this podcast about ESG before. I don't see that going anywhere in 2022. I think if anything, it's going to ramp up um, as more regulations come in. I think some of the companies that have yet to take a stand or set out a policy in 2022 are going to have to. There's so much pressure coming from investors and lenders about where their money is going and what it's being used for in the real estate industry, as well as kind of increased regulation and reporting requirements that I only see that ramping up. And more of the, you know, the early adopters are already there, but more of the kind of middle of the road companies are going to have to take a stand in order to not get left behind. Also, with the increase in EPC regulations coming in in the next few years, I see more companies looking at their assets and their EPC ratings to make sure they don't end up with a load of stranded assets that can't be leased or sold. So that would be one side of it. I think the other side with my other hat on is we tend to talk about technology completely separately as though it has absolutely nothing to do with other parts of the real estate world and sits by itself, but it's really there to support everything else we do. And with the things that I've just said about ESG reporting and regulation increasing, I really see a move to more technology and systems being used to manage the data for that. We always say that in order to start anything with um, your environmental or social aspects in a company you've got to start with the baseline you can't measure if you don't know where you're coming from so i see more technology being implemented in companies to support the use of that data and reporting requirements i don't want to say just more of the same i think there will be an increased intensity but sort of more of the same more of the same yeah Uh, capital more capital more yeah the i think the trend has started and there will be a ramping up you know, you always get the natural curve of your early adopters followed by your mainstream people. And I start I think we're starting to get to mainstream now where if you don't have a stand, if you don't have a position, people are going to really struggle to justify, you know, investing with you, occupying with you and looking at your assets. So those would be my for my my little area at the minute. Not just a little area, Melissa, it's a huge area. And, and we, really, big area. <laughs> we really appreciate you taking the time and talking to us today and much. wish you a very happy Christmas and we'll see you in the new year. Thank you very much. Now we're joined by a man who embodies his own brand more than anyone. Constantly in high vis, turning up to meetings either aboard or clutching his Brompton. It's our Director of Public Sector and active travel expert, Neil Webster. Morning, Cap. Morning, Neil. What do you want to know? Um, I would love to know what you think 2022 is going to look like for the property industry. Well, I can't give the whole of the property industry, (laughs) but um, my view from an active travel point of view is that I definitely think we're going to see more people travelling by more sustainable means during 2022 to real estate assets, whether they be offices, um, whether it be venues and, and the like. Even when it's rainy? Um, I think that we have waterproof skin in the UK and um, it's not a bad weather. It's all about the wrong clothing. So just need to dress for the, the right conditions, really. But Neil, aren't we slightly lower on office attendance? Well, I know from um, work that we've done ourselves through return that it seems that we have lower numbers in. But I think what we'll then see potentially is um, a, an improvement in the quality of end of trip facilities. There's definitely competition between the home as a workplace and the office as a workplace. And that competition is going to see itself manifest in all sorts of different ways. Okay, to sort of draw people out of their caves. If you think that are caves, yes. I I don't see it as a cave. I just see it as one different place that I work. I have done a webinar on my bicycle this week. So that shows how peripatetic you can be working. Listening or presenting? Just listening. Just oh. listening. No, no. Um, I'll, I'll, 
I need to go to a, do the circus act juggling with my unicycle to do the presenting bit. But we'll move <laughs> on to that. Um, maybe that's 2023. Yes. Yes. When we interview you this time next year for the podcast, you'll be on your on your unicycle juggling. Or, or I might have been on my unicycle and had a fall. And therefore, maybe I'll be less less positive about the uh, the future. <laughs> And you, because because you um, this year launched the uh, Retour webinar series. We did, yes. I didn't. We did, yes. It was your your baby, though, your brainchild. If, if you think so, that's fine. <laughs> and that ran through most of the year, looking at active travel facilities in different countries across the world. We did. I think I think we did five in the end. I sort of um, sort of lost count. I'll tell you what would be great, though. It would be really good to get it back to an in-person event for 2022. So I guess we'll just have to watch this space, won't we? Just um, look at all of the socials on, Re- on Remit and uh, there may be something coming. <laughs> on, on that ominous note, Neil, um, thank you very much and Merry Christmas. And to you. Pleasure. So next up, we've got someone who brings together technology and finance and some incredible experience with some super tricky projects. So welcome, Sue Hantman. How are you? I'm all right, thank you, Em. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Yeah, super excited for festive periods, advent calendars ticking along. So all good things, all good things. So Sue, what we'd like to know is what do you think 2022 is holding for us next year? Well, one thing that struck me is we have all had to adapt to change an awful lot in the past two years, despite the often quoted comment that no one likes change. Uh, so I think one thing that's going to happen is a bit more stability. People are going to find what works for them. Lots of flexible working still, lots of virtual and remote working. And I think one thing that will drive is more regional and hub type working to so the big offices with big spaces, certainly in the centre of London and some of the other bigger conurbations, looking at having a smaller number of medium-sized places outside of London, because people actually often really want to work in a proper, well-kitted-out office. Yeah, totally. And I think that what you're saying about some stability, I think people, yeah, are really craving that right now, I think, especially with the recent news in the last week or so. Definitely, I mean, me personally, some stability would be very much welcomed. Yeah. Yeah, people are making up their own rules, definitely. And people are deciding what they think is the right and the wrong thing and all that sort of thing. Um, But I think that whilst lots of people work can get their job done really well working on their own, they actually work better and more effectively in a World Kids Day office and with other people at times. And I think that's the bit that we need to get back to somehow um, safely. Uh, But keeping the travel stuff down and all the environment stuff that's going with it as well. Yeah, totally. And well, obviously, Remit Consulting is tracking numbers going in and out of offices and we all a bit uncertain as to how that's going to look next year. So it's interesting to think, yes, people might be returning to the office, but maybe not necessarily central London as they may have done before. If big company is going to move outside of London, that's an an interesting switch. I think we can keep our eyes on. It'll be interesting to see. And of course, it depends on the size and nature and longevity of what they've currently got. So, yes, watch this space. Um, well, thank you, Sue. Um, hope you have a wonderful festive period and hope to see you soon in the new year. Thank you. Thanks, Em. So now we are joined by someone who is a management consultant and a qualified chartered surveyor known for hitting the target. She looks after the property management business of Remit Consulting and supports clients with service reviews, specifications, tenders and improvements, utilising her sharp shooting skills. Hello, Steph Yates. How are you? Hello. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Looking forward to Christmas. And you are here today to give us your opinions on what might be seen in the market in 2022 and if relate it back to what we've seen in 2021. That's that's all good, too. So... What are your thoughts, Steph? So I was having a think about this and I was looking back at, which is very apt given what you just said, looking back at the past couple of years. And I feel like 2020 was hyper-focused on fighting the fire of coronavirus. And 2021 this year has been, I feel like it's been coming to terms with the impact of 
what that meant for the property world. So how will it affect our investments? How will it affect the different sectors we've got in the sort of medium to long term and not just in the short term fighting the fires, as I said. So I think there's been an acceleration of trends in retail particularly, and I think we'll see that go on through next year. And the bit that I have been thinking about a lot lately has been the regeneration of town centres and how you get them to be useful places again, because they've arguably suffered the most. And interestingly, Property Week ran a piece last month looking at the future of town centres and retail spaces. And it summed up a lot of the different challenges that I think are facing the different sectors. So there was, they were talking about green spaces and spaces where people can ground themselves in and and, and sit back and rest and relax and the sort of leisure space. And they were talking about affordable spaces for small companies and startups, places where you can really nurture businesses and nurture the future of businesses. And they were also talking about community spaces, places that we might normally refer to as campuses, where residential, retail, offices, leisure all sit side by side. And I think that's great. And and I think there'll be a lot around that. But I think there'll be also be a lot around the challenges that are associated with those over the next year. So if you're talking about public space and public realm, how do you manage that? And how do you manage that in an affordable way? And how do you get the skills that are required to manage that piece? It's also a challenge, though, for towns which have a a long heritage and a history. You can't necessarily take a town centre which has been there for hundreds of years and suddenly go, we're going to redesign this because there will be an uproar if if they <laughs> you would to do this in some places so it's a real challenge particularly for local authorities i think i think you're right if you look at the sort of medium term history but i think if you go back hundreds of years that's sort of where we're going back to with green spaces and building places and place making around a market square for example where you do have local smaller retailers and traders and you've got that communal space where you can come together as a community and catch up with your neighbors and and so i think i think in some ways we're looking back further than we're looking forward in that we're drawing the inspiration from the past so I think some spaces will already be set up quite well for this I think the challenges are going to come with your shopping centers that were built in the 1980s that were just retail unit after retail unit after retail unit and that's what they're designed around I think that's where the challenge is going to come so Steph is your prediction back to the future (gasps) yeah (laughs) why not that's good. We're all going to be flying in cars, though. That's my next question. No, Emily, that's the year 3000, not 20. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I got confused. <laughs> I'm just waiting for Steph to turn up in a DeLorean. <gasps> oh, I would love to. I hear they're a nightmare to drive, but I would love to. I've never actually seen the film. <laughs> have you not? Oh, oh, There's three of them, Kat. Oh. How have you missed all of them? I feel like if you though, watch the, one, you watch them all. Yeah, this is true. But we digress. And uh, I know you're busy, Steph. I just want to say thank you very much for coming and giving us your thoughts. That's been good. And, and maybe a topic for another podcast in 2022. Yeah, why not? Let's go for it. Okay. Well, look, have a great Christmas. And we will see you in the new year. Thank you very much. You too. Thank you so much, Steph. Thank you. So what do the Tudors, the UK coastline and process improvement have in common? Might sound like a cracker joke, but it's actually an introduction to our next guest. A true academic, brilliant author, former partner at Remit, Melissa Thomas brings expertise in funds, technology and compliance and process improvement skills, which have transformed countless businesses. So Melita, what is going to happen in 2022? Well... Who knows? But my starter for 10, I suppose, would be an increased use of blockchain technology in particularly in financial services and then potentially in real estate following what you might call proof of concept in in the financial arena. Um, Two things recently have made me think that this is likely to be hot topic next year. Well, three things, actually. The first one is a thing called Project Jura, J-U-R-A, which was a a public-private 
project done between the Central Bank of France and the Central Bank of Switzerland and various other players to use blockchain technology to settle cross-border trades. Now, it's incredibly complex, and you, there's a thing on YouTube that you can read all about it, but, it's, but it was um, exchanging euro funds and uh, commercial paper in a very long chain of events using blockchain technology. You know, once you have institutions like the Bank of Switzerland looking at blockchain, I think we can say it's no longer early adopters. It's no longer a buzzword and it's coming to the mainstream. Exactly. So that's the use of blockchain there. It's also being used by um, banks. And this I think this is very interesting. The HSBC and Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo? Never sure how to pronounce that. Two obviously major banks using HSBC's own blockchain platform they are now doing intra-intraday settlement between the two banks using blockchain technology, which is cutting out the Federal Reserve's centralised oh, wow. clearing. Yeah. That's so, a big Yes, I'm not sure how the Federal Reserve is going to think about that. But yeah, so HSBC and Wells Fargo are you know, potentially cutting out the middleman of Uncle Sam. Exactly how it works, I can't tell you, so don't ask me. But there are, again, all sorts of weird and wonderful things out there on the web to talk about the technology. And related to blockchain is, of course, Bitcoin. And lots of people have the two things in their mind. The cryptocurrency blockchain is just an enabling technology for cryptocurrency. But cryptocurrency itself is now, well... In this morning, I think the Bank of England was saying, you know, you're all going to lose your money and your shirt on Bitcoin although it then did sort of say eventually, so who knows. Um, But there are now jurisdictions that are accepting it as currency. And I think somewhere in South America, possibly El Salvador or Venezuela, somewhere, which is really interesting because, of course, it suggests that Bitcoin is a more stable currency than these countries' own national currencies. So I guess it'll be running alongside the dollar, the local currency and Bitcoin. So. How you carry it around and use it, I I don't know. But I think we're going to be seeing more about it. And of course, with real estate, so sort of leaving aside whether you can pay for it with Bitcoin, which I think might be maybe next year's thing. uh, I think the settlement of deals using blockchain is going to be something that's going to come closer. And uh, you can do a lot of due diligence using it. So we might um, spend less time chasing paper about asking for things Uh, one of the big things we see in in process work is the complexity of getting the data together and as I say although people have been talking about it for a long time I think now possibly its moment has come so that's that's a serious leap towards the automation because I know one of the things that we talk about all the time in process work is getting down the process so that uh that to minimize the human error of the inputting and if it's all recorded in the the distributed ledger (laughs) yes um no that's really interesting thank you very much well merry christmas melita thank you very much for joining us bingo bells to you (laughs) so now we're joined by a partner in a firm of property managers and building consultants who is a good friend of remit consulting and someone i've known for nearly 40 years uh julian bates from workman how are you fine thank you very much in the office which is nice in the office, which is, is, is good. So would you like to give us your thoughts and comments, if you like, on what we can expect from the property market in 2022? I can certainly try. There are probably four areas that I'd like to touch on. ESG, inevitably, as the first topic where we've seen a marked change in a move from talking the talk and now walking the walk. Investors definitely see ESG as almost at the top of the agenda and it's vying for top billing with um, returns believe it or not it is that important so that's one area another area is the workplace where we expect to see more creative solutions in the way space is occupied and I and I don't just mean offices although offices is kind of leading from the front We are seeing more managed space type solutions. We're seeing more facilities being provided in workspace uh, for occupiers to attract new occupiers as well. So I think that's going to be an increasingly big area in 22. Innovation is the name of the game. 
in retail, we, we're finding that data and the use of data and the collation of data is becoming increasingly important. And the collaboration between tenants and occupiers uh, and retailers is becoming more uh, closely aligned um, because only by aligning that can landlords uh, encourage tenants to pay their rent. Interestingly, we're seeing more turnover models being adopted around rent payment. We've even got an example of a client we're working with at the moment that is linking rent to footfall. Um, I think there'll be more of that kind of thinking going forward. Wow. And then I think finally, uh, tech. And I'm sure at Remit, you spend a lot of time looking at tech. We are finding that the rise of ESG there is a big move um, in the application of tech to support ESG planning and objectives, um, more intelligent operating systems that measure, analyze, and optimize. The recent spike in energy costs um, is a very good example where the efficient use of space will help to minimize the impact of that on buildings. So we think those four areas are going to kind of dominate the operational end of investment activity in 22. That is very, very interesting and ties in with a lot of what uh, we've already heard from other people as well. And, and you're all in agreement, which is good to know. So, well, look, thank you very much for your time today. Um, we look forward to speaking with you again in 2022. And if I could wish you and your family a very happy Christmas. Thank you very much. Thanks, Julie. Thanks, guys. Next joining us under the virtual Christmas tree is a lady whose name is synonymous with corporate real estate. She heads up our return research and has advised clients such as Royal Mail, Just Eat and Rolls-Royce. So we are very lucky to have Lorna Landells with us today. So Lorna, what do you think is going to happen in 2022? Oh, well, if only I had a crystal ball and I could tell you that, but I'm sure I'm not the first person to say that. Um, I don't think anybody knows what's really going to happen because COVID is with us to stay and much as we hate it and Brexit we, we have to live with them really so I think probably from the perspective of people going back to the office or not going back I think it will pick up again but I'd be massively surprised if it ends up at the same levels anything like the same levels as before but I think that the WeWorks and Spaces and we just all the serviced office providers they're going to see a resurgence of the enthusiasm that they had at the outset, and people do miss face-to-face -face contact. The mm. whole creative thing, it just gets lost if you can't go back. Do you think the service office space is going to have to offer more creative offerings? Because at the moment, it seems to be you can have flexible working or you can have your own space. And do you think we'll see some kind of convergence of the two? I think that would be good if they could do it. I think at the moment, they're probably rubbing their hands with glee as they get filled up. But certainly, I mean, we in Remit, we try different kinds of offices. And yesterday I tried out a different office in Chancery Lane. And I have to say, it was as dull as dull could be. I mean, it was a very nice building, but I was the only person in it for a start, which didn't help. And also there was nothing provided other than a desk and a dying pot plant. So <laughs> I think they should be more creative, not though at the expense of people's um, well-being, because... So many people have been working, sitting on their beds, um, working on their laps. That's not good for you long term. Not good no. at all. No, not at all. And it is, it is, I know that a lot of the kind of funkier looking places that when you walk around, you think they look fabulous. When you actually have to sit in them and work for a day, you spend the next week going, gosh, my bag. Yes, absolutely. I think that somewhere in 2022, here's my pr prediction, some smart Alec is going to come along and go, I can sort you out loads of money for the fact that your back has been crippled by your working environment or you've been forced to go into the office and you caught COVID. I think there's going to be a lot of hangers on making money out of this. Office-based litigation. Yes, office-based litigation. There, there's a job opportunity. Somebody's missed a trick. The OBL sector, new and emerging for 2022. <laughs> yeah, someone quickly copyright that. <laughs> um, right, yeah, okay. Any, any other thoughts, Lorna? Uh, probably the fact that 
young people, and sadly I can't class myself in that group, but young people have been gravitating to cities and conurbations for decades now. I think they still will. And so somehow placemaking is going to become even more important. I know that's a whizzy term, really, for what people have been doing for years, but it will become more important that where you go is a destination rather than just it's on your journey to get to work. Yeah, fostering that sense of almost, well, not that sense of home, that sense of opposite of home. Yes. Um, but making it a comfortable and nice place to work. Oh, well, thank you very much, Lorna, and a very Merry Christmas. And a Merry Christmas to you guys too. Wow, that was great. It was so nice having so many people talking on the podcast and almost like having a choir. Like having a choir? Yeah. A nice Emily little choir is, on the Recast podcast. Emily is uh, saying this, Paddy, because she knows what the cliche is. Oh, I do indeed. Cat's cliche. <laughs> it's that time already. Cat's Christmas cliche. Cat's Christmas cliche. <laughs> so what we've got is the classic management consultancy phrase, let's make sure we're singing from the same hymn sheet. Or carol sheet. Or carol sheet. And I've now got a Christmas anecdote for you before I explain it. Okay. So in my village church where I would go on Christmas Day, uh, we had two, two gentlemen who they'd known each other at school and they went to rival schools. They were in their 80s, possibly even 90s. And they used to sing at the speed, they used to sing the hymns at the speed they learned them at school, which was different so one of them would go off and absolutely be belting out his tunes at like four times the pace the other one was a little slower both were very loud and all of this compounded by the fact that our village organist plays I would say half speed is is being generous it was the funniest the funniest start to Christmas day going to church and sit and uh, one of these gentlemen would finish the hymn about 10 minutes before everyone else go and get a mince pie come back for the rest of the service <laughs> it, it was brilliant And whenever anyone says singing from the same hymn sheet, it always makes me smile because I think about this. Because actually they were singing from the same hymn sheet. They were just singing at different paces. And we all know what that phrase means and and why it's used. It's to make sure that everyone is aligned before you progress with a project or something like that. However, alignment of objectives is obviously super important, but as is alignment of pace and alignment of planning. Because if you have varying appetites for change what you're going to find is that you will have people who are lagging like our organist. So that is what I would like you all to take away this festive period. Brilliant. Thank you very much. So that's the end of the podcast. That's the end of 2021. And we will reconvene early in 2022. So could I wish you both a very, very happy Christmas and a prosperous new year. Merry Christmas, Paddy. Merry Christmas, Emily. Merry Christmas, guys. And Merry Christmas to our listeners. Um, Thank you very much for joining us this year and um, we hope you have a lovely holiday and um, join us back next year in January when we will be talking about all things ESG. Bye.